Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Beginning in John 6.22, and I'll be reading down to verse 51. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. As we've been going through the study on the gospel according to John, we have talked about the primary and secondary purpose that John um, has in writing this book. The fact that he is presenting the Son of God who became the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world is extremely important, though. Um, And so we've not really mentioned this side of it, but we've talked about it when we talked about Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, and we're going to talk about it a little more today, and that is that that primary purpose is critical because it is the core of the message of salvation. It is what you need to believe in order to be saved. Apart from understanding that, that, that Jesus came to die for your sins, there is no other means of salvation. It is what God has brought together. It is his work. It is his plan. It is his purpose for, for all of um, history. It's what the whole entirety of the Bible is about. And we can debate whether the centricity of the Bible is about uh, the glory of God or whether it is about the redemption of man. But the answer to that really is yes to both of those, and that it is... It, all of life is about the glory of God. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the what? Glory of God. But one of the primary ways that God is glorified is through the salvation of man, the redemption of man. And so, so from the beginning, God was working out his ultimate glory through the redemption of man, knowing that when he even created man, man would sin, man would fall, man would need a redeemer, man would need a deliverer, and that he himself would come to be that deliverer. Now, when someone is saved, do they fully get all that? Probably not. But what do they need to know? They're a sinner, they can't save themselves, but God did it for them. That's pretty simple. It comes down in a nutshell. So, the primary purpose of this book is to present that Jesus is the Son of God who became the Lamb of God in order to take away the sins of the world. And it is in that core truth, then, that the church ought to be unified. And sadly, it is that core truth, the simplicity of the gospel, that is continually under attack. And we talked about that even in Sunday school as we went finished up in our study of Galatians and how that was being attacked through works. You've got to work, 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 rather than grace. And even this morning, then, talking about it from the book of Colossians, that it is those core truths, then, about the deity of Christ in the simplicity of the gospel that's going to be attacked. Now, last week, David talked about the, the feeding of the multitude, the feeding of the 5,000 plus, but we can debate on how many the plus was, right? So I like the feeding of the multitude. Um, and so, but the reality is there's a feeding of these 5,000 plus individuals, and they take up 12 baskets, right? Now, when he's there... 
there's a battle going on, okay? And I don't want to go back into all that, because David did a very good job of it. But even amongst the disciples, there's a, the, the struggle of seeing things by their eyes and then understanding things based on faith, okay? There is this battle that we continually fight against between having a focus on the temporal and etern- or the temporal and the physical or on the eternal and the spiritual. And so just as these folks were battling it, struggling with it, so we battle and struggle with it today. Well, not just the disciples on their end, because they're looking at things what? Visibly. I mean, how can we what? How can we feed all these people? Even if we had 200 denarii, it's not enough. And so in other words, we had a whole year's wages. We couldn't buy enough to, to feed all these people. They're looking at things, thinking things from the temporal perspective, from the physical perspective. And Jesus is continually encouraging them, encouraging them to, to think outside the box. Get outside of your flesh for a moment. God's bigger than anything you can ever imagine. And he wants to knock your socks off. So, what do you got? Well, there's a little kid here who's got five loaves and two fish. But what are this among so many? You guys think outside the box. You got enough. You got more than enough. In fact, you got so much that we're going to have 12 baskets of leftovers. What? This doesn't even fill 12 baskets here. Yeah, get it? No, I don't get it. It's the widow's oil. She had just a little bit in the cruise. That little bit in the cruise filled how many barrels and and buckets and and pans and pots until she ran out of them, right? How about the wheat? Well, I only got enough wheat for me and my son to have one little loaf of bread, you know, one stick to be able to burn it all. Go ahead and make some for me first. That's really kind of cool, right? And then Elijah goes and lives with this widow, right? And she has enough wheat and enough oil and enough kindling to last throughout the entirety of it. God is able to do beyond what we can even comprehend. And that's what he's continually trying to get these people to understand. And yet they don't get it. Because as Chuck read, the next day, they wake up. They had a good night's rest because they were what? Say it again. They were full. How much did they eat? Till they were full. Off of five loaves of bread and two small fish. Isn't that kind of cool? And so they were like, they were content, man. They just <laughs> slept out through the night. Then the next, but they were still awake when Jesus did what? He sent away his disciples, put them in a the boat. They said, no, Lord, but we're going to be with you. I mean, all these crowds. No, no, you got to go. We've got to go. I know all that conversation not in the Bible. That's just Bob's kind of little, you know, picturing how this thing went together. Could you imagine Peter? Lord, I mean, I'm like your bodyguard. You know, no, get on the boat. Just go, just go. Oh, I want to have my time alone with all these multitude. I can handle this, you know. And so Jesus goes off into another mountain, right? Praise. And, and, and the next morning, everybody wakes up. And because during the fourth watch of the night, he what? He walks across the water. Yeah. And, and meets the guys in the boat. Okay. But the next morning, so now you're the crowd. You're the multitude, right? You wake up and you realize what? Jesus is gone. Where did he go? Where did he go? You know the disciples, what? They took the boat. So he didn't take the boat. Where did he go? I mean, it was the middle of the night. He was going that way, up the mountain. And now all of a sudden he's gone, gone. We've looked all over the place. We've scoured the countryside for this guy. And he's gone. Why do you think they were scouring the countryside? Ah, say again. It was time for breakfast. It was breakfast time. Who's got a loaf? 
This guy will feed us with a loaf. They were thinking of only the, the food. Jesus isn't there, though. He, came, he went walking, uh, took a walk in the middle of the night, right? In the midst of the storm, he's walking on the water, right? He comes into the boat, and immediately they get to the other side. Well, we know from this passage that the other side is Capernaum. Capernaum, okay? They get to Capernaum, they get to Capernaum, okay? And, they, and, and so they're there. And so while they're there, we read in the passage that he must go into the synagogue, because that's where this altercation, this, con- this confrontation is going to happen. So he's there in the, in the synagogue, okay? So it must have been probably Shabbat. Okay, so they went in and, and they got there. And so now all of a sudden the people, they're trying to figure out what Jesus is. And they finally come. They, well, I might as well go back what? Go back home, right? They get to Capernaum and there's what? There's Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Lord, how did you get here? Jesus cuts to the chase. Quit, quit. Marsha always laughs at me. She's just guys in their conversations. You know, when you, when you call on the phone, you say, hey, how are you doing? How are the kids? Oh, yeah, how's, how, how's your grandma? Oh, how's that bunion on your little toe? Oh, that's really kind of cool. And then 20 minutes later, you finally say, oh, and by the way, I called for it. No, I'm a guy. I got time. I got things to do. Hey, Justin, this is Bob. Do you got the songs for Sunday yet? <laughs> you know, I mean... Cut to the chase. You know I didn't call to find out about how your bunion was doing and how your grandma Bertha was doing, you know, and stuff like that. And so you just do it, right? Jesus. Lord, how did you get here? Guys, you're only looking for me because I fed you. And you haven't had breakfast. And you're looking for more. And I, I know he didn't say that, but that's Bob's little add-on in there, right? And now you want more food. You're thinking How? physically you're thinking temporally you need to, i appreciate it jimmy and your, your testimony metanoia you need to change the way you think he's continually jesus is continually telling him repent change the way you think for the kingdom of god is at hand i am here in your midst you need to start thinking heavenly you need to start speaking spiritually that's colossians 3 1 right if therefore you've been raised with Christ, you need to set your affections and your thoughts and your mind upon the heavenly things. You need to change the way you think. But we get so stuck in this rut of worrying about our daily bread. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what? Then all these things will be added unto you. Now, we're going to spend two weeks going through this whole passage from 22 to 71. Today, this, this passage, chapter 6, um, there are a couple major theological debates and struggles um, that come from this chapter. Okay, And so this week, we're going to talk about the work and will of God. Lord willing, next week, we're going to talk about the bread of life and the word of life. Okay, And so this week, we're going to talk about Calvinism. Next week, we're going to talk about transubstantiation. So you say, well, what's that mean? Don't worry about it. We'll talk about it next week. Okay? We're going to talk about communion stuff on Communion Sunday. Isn't that kind of cool? What a thing that's going to be. So, but in this passage then today, I want to talk about the work and the will of God. And so we're going to kind of ignore a little bit of what's actually happening here. Okay? That Jesus is coming. Okay? But I want you to understand it's the backdrop. Okay? This is the, the, um, the analogy 
so of the bread of life and what Jesus is and who he is in which all this conversation is going to take place. Okay. Talking about what is the work of God and, and what is the will of God. Okay. So, um, yeah, people were focusing on the temporal and physical. Jesus was continually seeking to, to have him do that. I just said all that, but here's a slide for it. Okay. And we're going to talk about the work and the will of God. I'm ahead of myself. So let's jump into the work of God. Okay. Now, if you've known me long enough, okay, you know that um, there are certain passions that I have, and some of them are I hate when I feel like things are taken out of biblical context. Um, I know that, so here, I'm a sinner, and I'm saved by grace. I struggle with the same flesh that everybody does, right? So, I know that I have the, the potential to translate and interpret the word of God wrong according to my flesh rather than my spirit. So I'm, I'm, that's, my, that's my, what do you call it, disclaimer right up front, okay? I get that. So when I, when I sit here and I'm going to sound judgmental, okay, throughout this message I know, I, I know Bob's flesh is going to sound judgmental at times. I don't mean it that way. I really don't mean it that way. I get the fact that we've debated this thing for thousands of years, okay? And some people just continually get it wrong. So, um, and I don't know why they continually get it wrong, because I think the Bible is very clear on some of these things. Um, but I also know, again, and I'm saying that jokingly, okay, because there is a potential for us to eisegete the Word of God rather than exegete the Word of God. You say, what does that mean? Eisegete, so jeet is, um, is putting knowledge into, or, or is knowledge, okay? Eisegetic is putting knowledge into something, okay? Exegesis is taking the knowledge out from it. So when we read the Word of God, we want to exegete the passage. We want to grab knowledge, suck knowledge from it. We don't want to eisegete. We don't want to put what we think into it. Does it make sense? Okay. So on the screen, you've got two verses. Okay? And those are the, the primary two verses. And you're going to see there's a lot of other words there in color and that kind of stuff. Okay? Because we're going to talk about some of this. It's going to be a little bit heavy in certain parts. This is going to be very theological, doctrinal. Okay, but remember that the word of God, God gave us his word. He thet onustos, God breathed his word in order that we might be complete, that we might be perfected for, for every good work, right? But part of that, then, from that is that that word of God is, is God breathed in order to give us what? Doctrine and reproof and instruction and righteousness. So that's, that's today, okay? I mean, I'm going to be straight. There's application from it, but there's, this is like... Heavy doctrine, because this is something the church struggles with today, okay, in debates today. Okay, so Calvinism, Calvinism in a nutshell, and I'm, I'm probably going to do this wrong fully, and I don't mean it to be that way, but Calvinism in a nutshell says that you, don't, you have no part in salvation, okay? That you've been elected before the foundation of the world, you've been predestined before the foundation of the world, and I agree with some, some of that part of that, okay? A lot of things we, that they state, we believe are part of that. But you had no choice in it. Okay, that that the difference between what I believe and what they would believe is this half step that goes into the cloud. Okay, and that is that I don't even choose to believe that God chooses to believe for me, and instantly I'm elect and I'm a believer. Okay, that's what they say. 
Okay, that's what, that's what Calvinism really is. So when we talk about Calvinism, that man is dead, so Ephesians chapter 2, man is dead, therefore, um, and actually that's not even there in Ephesians 2, 1, but you can look at the italicized words, it doesn't say that you're dead, but that's okay. Um, the concept is there. And so that because you're dead, dead men can't do what? They can't do anything. So, so God's got to make you alive in order for you to be able to even believe. Okay, so that's the concept of it. Okay, so they normally go with tulip. Okay, you're totally depraved. We would agree with that. Okay, but not to the extent that they believe. Okay, um, that's for another moment. Okay, um, and I'm going to mess this up. Unconditional grace. Okay, I'm sorry. Say it again. Election. Unconditional election. Thank you so much because it is a difference. Unconditional election. In other words, God chooses you. Period. You never choose him. Okay. He chooses you. Limited atonement, totally unbiblical. Did I, can I say that one more time? It's totally un, not just non, unbiblical. Okay, I know I'm, I'm pretty, pretty strong in this, but over the years I've become so dogmatically strong against it, I'll die for this. Limited atonement is unbiblical. What it teaches is that Jesus only died for the elect. That flies in the face of so many scriptures. First John chapter two: These things are right that you sin not, but um, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He's not the propitiation for our sins only, but it's also for the sins of the whole world. He died for the sins of the whole world. He paid for the sins of the whole world. The entire world's sins are forgiven at this very moment. Do you get it? They just haven't accepted it. The gift sitting under the tree. I'll buy it myself. I don't need it. It goes back to your... What, 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 what was that Instapot that you had there, Chuck? Everybody's got an Instapot under the tree. But some people are still using that iron skillet. Anyway, so... Um, thinking they're going to do it on their own. So, um, I, irresistible grace. That means you can't say no to God. Okay, God's going to draw on you. You're going to say yes. And then P is the perseverance of the saints. Now, that's not what we believe. Okay? It's not what I believe. How's that? Um, that's what Calvinists as a whole believe. That's how it's been played together. But what we're, many of the, the um, debates are going to come down to these two passages in John 6. There's some other verses as well in the, in the scriptures. But John 6 becomes a huge deal here. Okay, And so we see the, the, um, the, the first half of these that we're going to be looking at. And we'll get to the second one when we get to the will of God. Okay, And that is that... Um, in John 6, beginning of verse 28, we read, Then they said to him, that is Jesus, What shall we do, words are important, What shall we do that we may work, ergonitsomai, the works ergon of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work, the ergon of God, that you believe, histuo, in him whom he sent. Therefore, they, want, they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe, histuo, you? What work, ergonitsomai, that will you do? Okay, so Jesus then talks about the bread of life a little bit, which we're not going to talk about today. And then he comes down to verse 35, and we read, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Pistuo. Okay, so we're, we're getting into these two primary words, which are the battlegrounds. Okay, and that is works. In what? Belief or faith, okay? Because El, El, uh, Elpidus, 
um, hope, okay, comes from pistos, which is faith, okay? And so, which believing, believing is the, the verb form of faith. So, you could actually put, so you have um, pistuo, and um, on the slide, I know this is small and you can't read this, okay? I'm sorry, so you'll go to YouTube later and you'll have to get these words, okay? Anyways, but it's ergon, ergonismi, pistuo, pistis, and pistos, okay? Pistis and pistos are, are generally faith and faithful, okay? But they are the noun forms of pistuo. We don't say that you're faithing. We say that you are believing, okay? But when you believe in something, it's, it's, it's what you have faith in. Does that make sense? Okay? So faith and belief go hand in hand. And so works in faith, okay? Now, what's kind of fun here that I, I put on here, and you can look at later, is that pistuo is 248 times in the New Testament in 220 verses. 220 time, 248 times 220 verses. It's 100 times in 86 verses in John. Do you note the enormity of that? 100 out of 248 times in the New Testament, it's in John. Almost half, almost half of the times Pistuo is in the New Testament, it's in John. Now, I didn't even include here this is just the book of John. I didn't even include 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, or the book of Revelation. This is just the, the gospel according to John. But I want you to look down here with Pistis. It's 244 times in 228 verses. Okay? Zero times in John. Pistos, 67 times in 62 verses. Only one time in John. I'm not ready to preach a theology on this. But I think it's pretty cool. Because it's the action John's talking about our action, how we respond, how we act according to the work of God. God works, we, we believe. You get it? It's not about my faith. It's not about my doctrine. It's not about my, 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 it's everything about him. I'm looking at Jesus and I just what? I just believe. Isn't that what Jesus said about the, the, what salvation is? Let the little children come unto me and forbid them not for why? For if such is the kingdom of heaven. What does that little kid do? He's standing on the side of the pole and you're inside the pole. The kid doesn't, can't swim. And you say what? Jump. I'll catch you. I'll take care of you. And the kid's looking at you going, hmm, I don't know. Let me think about this. I'm going to think geometry here for a moment. If I jump and it's a right angle and da, 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 da. And, and you know, I don't, I mean, have I even seen whether you can swim? You know, and, and do I know how strong you are? The kid doesn't do that. Adults, we do that, don't we? We sit there and we calculate this and we kind of ponder it. And half an hour later, we go, well, you know, I think I'll just put, I'll sit on the side and put my feet in the water. The little kid doesn't do that. The little kid does what? Bing! Takes a leap of faith. Because really what it is. Because at that moment, they're trusting. They have faith. They have hope, elpidas, that all these words, believing and hope and all this kind of stuff, they all tie together in the Greek behind the scenes, okay? They're all based upon one another. They have this hope. They have this trust. They have this faith. They have this belief that you're going to do what you just said you're going to do. Wouldn't it be a bummer after you die to find out all this is wrong? But we know it's right based upon the word of God. I like to tell that to people, though. Where are you going to go when you die? How do you know? Are you sure? It's the only part where on, on Wednesday I felt like I should have said one more thing to that one guy instead of leaving it there. What happens if you're wrong? Uh, so I want to leave it. I'm going I'm I'm to go to nothingness. Okay. So I said to him, I said, okay, but 
call that number and I'd love to talk to you sometime. But where I should have gone, and I like to say at the end is, but what if you're wrong? And then I'll just leave it there. So if you think about it, ponder that, call me sometime. Because what if you're wrong? If I'm wrong and you're right, I'm going to nothingness. It doesn't matter. But if I'm right and you're wrong, you got problems. Like eternal problems. Like never ending. You think you got problems now? <laughs> you don't know the problems you're going to have. So anyways, so they want to know what work can they do. We're going to talk about this in a moment, okay? But Jesus turns around and talks about the what? The work of God. But he gives them one thing that they're supposed to what? Do. What's the thing they're supposed to do? Believe. Now, that's a problem for the Calvinist. Because the minute I say do, that makes it into a what? Work, according to them. And so, therefore, that comes in then to this other part where God then has to put in you the what? The belief. He makes you believe. That way it's not even, you didn't even do a work. You didn't do anything. He just makes you believe. That's, that's stretching. Okay? So then Jesus then says, but you've looked at me, and yet you do not believe. Which means that he's saying what? He's expecting that they would what? They'll believe. Okay, so let's move on with this then. This work of God. Okay, we see it both in salvation and in sanctification. Now, it's going to be from the same passage that we're looking at. Ephesians 2 is where I'm jumping to right now. But it's on the screen for you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Okay, 8 to 9 has to do with our salvation. Verse 10 has to do with our sanctification. For by grace... By what? By grace. Are you saved through what? Through what? Through faith. But that's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should what? Boast. So here's the deal. Here's the debate. What is the gift of God? What is the gift of God? Is the gift of God your faith? That, that you can't do this on your own, so God gives you the faith in order to what? Believe. Now, that's true. God has created us, and he's given us the ability to do this, okay? So I don't want to dismiss it right off the bat, okay? Or is it the entirety of, for by grace you have been saved through faith? Do you get it? That it's the whole plan that's the gift. How you answer that question makes you a Calvinist, or makes you at least a, a mystery position where I'm at, Okay? I believe, in, I believe in free will, and I believe in election. How they come together, I'm not worrying about it right now. Does it make sense? Okay? So, all I know is what the Bible says, what the Bible teaches me. I don't have to be God. I don't have to define everything. I, I have faith that God what? He's got this thing figured out. Okay? So, but verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, okay? So how does this play out? First of all, we're going to talk about salvation. Romans 3 is very clear then when it talks about that the fact is, by grace you are saved through faith, and that is the gift. That the whole concept is the gift. That God made this plan for us to be able to come. So Romans 3, but, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through what? Through faith. Okay, um, in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who, what? Believe, pistuo, now and it's faithing, they're faithing, okay? For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith, again the noun part of it, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just in the justifier of the one who has what? Faith. Okay? So according to Romans 3, according to Romans 3, how do you get redemption? Through what? Through faith. Okay? What is then this thing right here? Being justified freely by his grace. It's the gift. Do you get it? It's God's gift. So put it in context of the Bible. Prior to this moment, how did you get it? Book of Galatians, come on. How, how did you get it? Believing in God's word? Okay. How did they see it? What's the, whole, what's the whole debate that Paul's talking about here? Huh? The law. The law. That's exactly right. The law. Axel didn't come up with it. He heard Marcia say it. Okay. <laughs> Everybody's impressed with Axel right now. Whoa, the little kid's got this. What the bomb? He's just repeating what Grandma said. And so, but now he knows it, right? So now it's sunk in. So, they were trying to base it upon the law, which was their what? Think of our two primary words here. No, no. So why were, how were they trying to do it? Based upon their what? Works. They were trying to do it on their works. Works according to the law. Make sense? They were working. Okay, shh. They were working for this thing, okay? So they're working, working, working. But God says, I'm going to give you a what? Gift. So let's bring in Romans 6.23 for a moment. Okay, it's not going to be on the screen, but you guys know it. Okay, to me, it is the verse that has the kernel of the whole gospel right in it, right? The wages is what? Wait, so what's a wage? It's what you earn for your work. <laughs> you worked. You worked all week. At the end of the week, if you get paid weekly, you expect to get what? You get paid. If you're, if you're a daily laborer, you expect that at the end of the day, boss man's got some cash in his pocket and he's going to give you He's going to give you money, okay? You're going to get your wages for the work that you did. Now, sometimes we get more wages than we deserve because we didn't do any work. Anyways, that's another story. So, but you work, you work, you work, you work, you work, and you get what you, theoretically, deserve. Hmm. Yeah. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so it's a gift. So, David, I have really appreciated our friendship. And so you're going to look at this and go, I don't think I want that one. Anyways, but pretend it's a really good one. Pretend this is the, the, the top iPhone or whatever it is. Anyways, and I say to David, I want to give this to you. And David immediately says, wow, Bob, I really appreciate that. Isn't that the top of the line iPhone? And I go, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> Let's pretend we're making a pretend here. It's not an Android. Anyways, and so, yeah, of course, you know, and you go, whoa, man, I don't know if I can take that from you. That is, like, too much. And I, I can't do that. I mean, that is, like, I, I know how much you love the phone, man. You can't have that. No, 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 I really want you to have it. Wow. Wow. I, that phone's got to be worth at least six, seven hundred. No, it's like twelve hundred. And, um, you know, and so, oh, twelve hundred. Okay. And you go, well, I don't know. I can give you six hundred. And, um, anyways, so all of a sudden he starts to try to pay me for it, right? If I take the money, what happens? 
I just sold it. It's not a gift anymore. I said, no, no, man, no, I don't want your money. I don't want your money. I want you to have a phone. Well, can I come mow the grass for you? Can, I mean, don't you need help putting siding up on that, on, the, on that porch you're building and all that kind of stuff? Man, well, I, I can, I, hey, 12 days of work? That ought to cover it. Now we're bartering. It's still not a gift. What's a gift? Nothing's in return. I give it to you. Free of charge. The gift of God is eternal life. That's what we're talking about. Being justified what? Freely. How? By his grace. Not by my works. He didn't look down and say, whoa, Bob, you're pretty cool. You, I mean, you know, you, one or two things may be bad, but the rest of you, we'll give you a 99.8, man. You're, like, you're as close as Jesus as I found on the earth. No, he didn't do it that way. Rather, he looked at me and said, boy, you're really like a .9, but we can do it anyway because I know what I can do in you. Does that make sense? Okay, by freely, by his grace, I am so unworthy. Based upon my works. I know what I deserved. I know what I was working for. I know what I was living for. I know how I was serving the lust of my flesh. Ephesians chapter 2. And that you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. And that you walked according to the course of the world, according to the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom you all had your fellowship. You all had. That was me, man. I was thinking only of me all the time. But by his grace, he made a path that I don't have to work. All I have to do is what? Faith. Believe. Faith, faith. I just have to believe. Trust, hope. Again, I can bring up here the word, it's not here in this passage, but the, the word elpidus. Can you see pistis? So elpidus, it's from that. It's the word hope. It's the word that's translated hope. I have hope. I have faith. I have trust. That God will do what he said he'll do. That's the path. That's the way. And so we read in Romans chapter 10, and you can read through all this. We're not going to talk a lot about it. But this is exactly what Israel was struggling with. Israel was struggling with that temporal, physical mindset. They wanted to do it on their own. They had to be tangible in some way. Do you know faith isn't so tangible sometimes? But you know, we read in Hebrews chapter 11 that faith is the what? It's the evidence. Of, yeah, it's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Because you know what faith really is? It's works. We'll come to that in a moment when we get to the sanctification part. This is cool stuff. Because faith is the evidence. Whoa, I thought faith was kind of like this ethereal thing that was kind of out there. It's kind of like in my brain. It's like, I believe. No! You can say that, but that's just intellectual assent. If I really believe I could walk in the middle of the air, don't do this. Then I'm going to walk off the side of the roof. Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, what? Call me on the water. Well, come on out, Peter. Peter did what? He got out of the boat and he started walking. How was he walking? On the water, by faith. That was faith. Standing in a boat saying, I believe I can do it, it's not faith. Walking on the water was faith. All of a sudden, it's what you say you hope, what you say you believe. Becomes action. Okay? So, 
Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they may be saved, for I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law, the end of working for righteousness to everyone who what? Believes. Drop down to verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth in the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes in the righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made of salvation. i got to fly. Okay? So it's all about belief and faith. Okay? So in sanctification, Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God's the one who does the what? This is post-salvation. Isn't that kind of cool? Post-salvation. Who's still working in me? The Holy Spirit. God's still working in me. To do of his good will and his good pleasure, right? So, do you ever have those moments where it's like, oh, I think I ought to do a good work. That is so foreign to my fleshly mind. I'm going to save a duck. <laughs> I want to shoot the duck. I want to eat the duck. I don't know why you didn't eat the duck. Oh, kids, sorry. The duck's already gone. It's dinner time. <laughs> They're glad that you're the mom, and I wasn't their dad. You know, we would have had a duck orange that night. Anyways, <laughs> so, anyways, but in that moment, right, we have this, I should do a what? A good work. Well, that didn't come from within me. It was totally antithesis of everything I thought at the moment, or would have thought in my flesh in the past. So God's the one who does the, okay? But note, he's to work it out, to work, work, to will. Remember that word, to will, we're going to come back to it in just a moment, Okay? Galatians 5, and I don't have time to go into all this. You can kind of read it behind me, but you know the concept of Galatians 5. We went through this in Sunday school. And this is all about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And we're told in the very beginning, though, that we're supposed to walk in the Spirit, not in the lust of the flesh. For the, for the, the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so you cannot do the things that you would. There's a battle going on between the works of the flesh and, if you would, the works of the Spirit. Now, they're called the fruit of the Spirit here. Because you know what a fruit is? Yeah, go for it. It's the result of work. Whose work? What work? God's work. When you see peaches on a tree, it's not because you did anything to put the peach on the tree. Because God designed the what? The peach tree. Do you get it? And so it's a fruit that's happening because of something else that was going on in the ground. Does it make sense? And so we have the works of the flesh, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred. And you go on down the line, right? But then you got the what? The fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the kindness, goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control. Okay? And the reality is, what is then the fruit of the Spirit? It's the evidence of God's working in your life. That's Philippians chapter 2. And that's Ephesians chapter 2. For, for God did all this so we could do have what? Good works, which he has before ordained that we should walk in them. Do you see all this plays together? God is the one who's doing the work. Never take credit for anything that you do. If it was good, it had to be of God. If it was bad, Bob took over. That's one thing I'm pretty confident of. If, if, there's, if, 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 if it went sour pretty bad, Bob stepped in away. 
One of my prayers when I'm preaching is I don't want to get in the way. I don't really want it to be about me. And I get frustrated when, when Bob shares too many testimonies about Bob. Make sense? Because I want to say what God's doing in my life, but I don't really want to focus on Bob. It's God's work, not our work. Well, that gets in then to the second part, and that is the will of God. And in the will of God, we're going to see two parts that he brings out. And there's the God's desiring and God's drawing, okay? Now, God's desiring is this word thelo, which you saw just a moment ago, okay? That he puts in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, okay? And we see it here in John 6, verse 37 and 40, so I'm back in 6, right? It says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own thelema, my own will, but the will, thelema, of him who sent me. This is the will, thelema, of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. This is the thelema of him who sent me, that everyone who sees his Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Now understand what it says right in the very beginning, okay? So... So you're still struggling with the work of God. What is the work of God? Well, it's you're believing. Well, is that God working in me to believe? Or is that still I'm believing then? Well, then he goes on. He says, so this is the will of God. So the will of the Father who sent me that of all he has what? Given me, I should lose nothing. So wait a second. We're talking about the will of the Father that the Father has done what? These are the ones he's given me, right? But then he turns around and he says... That everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life. So again, I'm giving this two sides of the story here, right? That God is what? Given them, but people have what? But they believed. And then we drop into verse 43, which now is really kind of interesting. It says, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can, dunamai, dunamas, power, energy, or not just energy, um, strength, they have, the, they have the ability. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me, what? Draws him. We're going to talk about that word. Draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by the God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he was from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Note how each of these end. So he talks about the will of God, then he talks about this drawing of God, so the desiring of God, that's what I'm going to get from Thelo, and then the, the, the drawing of God. But in the end, he comes back to the fact that those who what? Believe have everlasting life. It's God's will, and God's going to draw, but in the end, those who believe have everlasting life. So quickly, we've got to go through this. God's desiring, okay? So this is the verse we just read. But note what 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4 says. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who what? Desires, same word, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So, what is, if this is the will of God up here, Thelema, and we're going to talk about will in just a, even more in just a moment. I've got to really move. Anyways, the will of him who sent me. If it's the will of God, only those who, who he draws, only those who he's given to him are believers. That sounds like predestination. That sounds like election. That sounds like choice, right? But then he turned around and with the exact same word, and a Calvinist wants to split this word down here and say this means just desire. It's God's desire, but not his will. It's the exact same word. You gotta, if you're going to use a word, you've got to define the word by the word. Right? 
So what's God's desire, His will down here? For all men to be what? So are you limited or are you a universalist? Down here sounds like universalism, doesn't it? I mean, because if you're going to use the word that is the same as the word up there, then the reality is that it's, it's God wills for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. If that's well, how you're going to define that up here, okay, then you have to define it the same down below. That's all I'm telling you to do. You've got to be consistent in your interpretations. Make sense? You can't say, well, the word means this here and the word means that there. You can't do that. You've got to be consistent. Romans 9, clearly there's a lot written there, okay? Romans 9 is a major passage on this, okay? But we're talking about the sovereignty of God in it. But again, it's all going to come down to this one word right here, boule, boule. Because if you ever read John Piper and these guys, they split, they splice a hair, and they say, well, thelo is desire or wish, but boule is decreed counsel. And so though God desires all men to be saved, it's not his decreed counsel for them to be saved. Okay? So I'm going to read just portions of this. So that it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but God who shows mercy. So clearly I know that it's not based upon my own what? My own abilities or my own desires. But salvation is going to come based upon God's purpose. Okay? So let me keep going. Therefore, he who has mercy... He has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills, he hardens. You will say to me, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? Now, if I didn't show you the Greek, you'd think that was all the same word. So, boule and thelema or thelo are what? Well, what do we say in English? They are what? Synonyms. They're synonyms. It's in the same context. He's defining a word by a word. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you can't turn around and say, therefore, who has mercy on whom he wishes, and whom he wishes, he hardens. You will say to me, then why does he find fault for who has resisted his decreed counsel? Well, if it's just a wish up here, then it doesn't happen based upon the other verses. Does that make sense? Because he doesn't have any control over that. Because it's just a wish, a desire. If it's only a decreed counsel. Okay, so so you can see the two words here. Okay, so what if God wanting or willing to show his wrath um, to make his power known endured with much suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand. In other words, this is all by God's sovereignty. Does God have the right? Stop back for a moment. Does God have the right to do with you as a piece of clay whatever he chooses to do? He does. What if, when you were born, he chose for you to be an object of wrath? Does he have the right to do that? He does have the right to do that. We can debate Pharaoh, and I don't think Pharaoh's in this part of it. Maybe it isn't, maybe it's not. Anyways, but Pharaoh's in Romans, Romans 9 there as well. Um, but the debate always is, is who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Did Pharaoh harden his heart, or did God harden his heart? And the answer is, yes. 100%. Okay? Pharaoh hardened his own heart. That's what we're told in the Word. Pharaoh, but there came a point when God said, let it be so. Enough's enough. And God hardened his heart. The door was closed. The window was shut. And it was done. It was a done deal. 
God continually showed him all the signs and wonders. Now, here's the deal, though. God had already um, prophesied and declared what was going to happen. And now we're going to get into predestination versus foreknowledge, and I don't have time for that. That actually is where the battle is from Bob. Okay? It's predestination versus foreknowledge. What did God foreknow and what did God preordain? Okay? But what we do know is that God is sovereign. And there is nothing that comes upon you that God hasn't caused or allowed. Everything has gone through the sieve of his sovereignty. Does that make sense? Okay. So, but, but here we got this word fellow and bule. Now, I don't have time to get into it. Okay? But bule is used 34 times in the New Testament. All of them are synonymous with fellow and thelema. I challenge you to check me out on that. Okay? Please check me out. But here in John context, okay, is when Pilate says, do you want me to release to you Barabbas? Well, he's using the word boule. But what is he asking? He's asking for the people to what? Their desires. He's not asking for the decreed council. He's not asking for God's decreed council. He's asking for a, a wish, a desire. The word boule is synonymous, is my point, with thelo. And so people use it to try to split, split hairs, to try to get it to say, the scriptures to say what it says. But Jesus is very clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, what? Whosoever believes in him should not perish. That God has his desire for all men. I don't have time to get into Ephesians 1. I wish I really did, because um, this is just again full of but you can see all the way down here we got the good pleasure of his will the mystery of his will and the counsel of his will okay again it's being used together okay just synonymously okay according to this working okay um and then here we got our words trusted and believe uh pro alpizzo uh this is alpizzo um pistuo okay it's all there okay god's drawing um again i don't have a lot of time but i knew that so my slides are very fast on here okay <clears throat> so Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourself. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him to him. Okay, now this word, um, oh, first we've got to talk about the inability of man. Okay, this is real simple, right? We all know this one. That's why I just put a couple of verses up there. You can't do it on yourself, right? Man cannot come. We cannot, Romans 3.23, all have fallen short of the what? Glory of God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, then 9 to 11, that's what this is all based upon. And that is fact, there's none other good, no, not one. Okay? In and of myself, in, in and of yourself, and any man on the earth, none of us will ever go seek God in and on our own. Okay? Uh, just, we won't do it. Okay? So, that gets us then into the second part, and that is the interaction then of God with us, his drawing, if you would. Okay? And the word. Helkos, or Helkuo, okay, the word to draw, is used eight times, eight times in the New Testament. This is one of them. So I'm not going to tell you about this one because it's right here. Okay? So here we go. John chapter, eight, ver, chapter 18, verse 10. That's when Peter drew his sword or dagger out in the garden. Okay? So he drew it out. John, John 21, verse 6. The disciples were not able to draw the net into the boat because of the amount of fish that were in it. But, in a couple of verses later, Peter, remember, he wasn't in the boat. He wasn't helping them with the, with the net because he realized it was Jesus, and he jumped into the water, and he gets there. But Superman Peter, we're told in verse 11, Simon Peter went and drew the net to the land full of great fish. Uh, I chuckle, because you've got all these other manly men in the boat, and they can't together draw the fish 
into the boat. But Peter's so pumped that it's, it's food time. And he, because he's making Jesus, right? He goes up by himself, grabs a net, and <laughs> brings the whole net onto the land. Okay? So he draws it onto the land. Acts 16, 19. Paul and Silas were drawn into the marketplace to the officials. Remember, that's when they cast a demon out of that girl. Okay? And, it, and their, their, her owners weren't very happy about it. Acts 21, verse 30. Paul was dragged out of the temple and the doors were shut. Remember, he was dragged by the Jews out of the temple because they were going to stone him, okay? James 2, verse 6. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? So, based upon these verses, how do you translate the word halkuo? This is important. Say again? To bring out or bring near. How, though? See, see now, now we get into this theology. Against your will. Now, I'm not saying that, but that's how the Calvinists are going to take this, okay? To, to draw or drag, to cause to bring brought near against somebody's own will. Did the fish really want to jump into the boat? No, they were being dragged. Did Peter and Paul and Silas want to go to the courts? No, they were being dragged. Did Paul want to go get stoned? No, he was being dragged. You get what I'm saying? So, according to logic at this moment, we're using logic, okay? that all these things were happening against their what? Their will. Okay, so to drag or to draw. Okay, so if you add in it against the will, I want to talk about the last verse though. John 12, 31 and 32. Let me read that for you. This is Jesus speaking. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw... All to myself. Was Jesus lifted up from the earth? Was, was he ascended? And so therefore, if he's dragging and drawing against people's will, how do you have to interpret John 12 now? Universal salvation. The same verse, same word that's being used to talk about predestination and only the elect can come. John uses just a couple verses later of quoting Jesus. And if you, and if you interpret it again, the same way. I'm just talking about consistency. I don't care how it's translated, but it better be what? Consistent. If you translate it consistently, but now all of a sudden over there, make it woo. And, it's the woos. They, they woo. Jesus is wooing. No, Jesus. I mean, then they just, just totally emasculate the word. So I don't have a problem. If you want to make it, Look, if I get to heaven and I find out that, that some were predestined to salvation and some were predestined to hell, is it going to bother me? Not at all. Why? Because God's God and can do whatever he chooses to do. Make sense? It's not what I see in his word. If I get to heaven and I find out that he gave Adolf Hitler one last chance to repent and Hitler took it. And hit, that's exactly right. And if Hitler's in heaven, I say praise God. But, but it's not what I see in God's word. Does it make sense? In the end, it doesn't matter what I think. People need to be consistent with the Word of God. At the very end of Revelation, now understand that this statement is going to be only applied to the revelation, okay, of Jesus Christ. But if any man adds or subtracts from, takes away from the words of this prophecy, then all of this, these um, plagues will be upon him. I'd like to extrapolate that 
to the Word of God as a whole. It's God's Word. It's not mine. I've got to be so careful of how I translate, interpret the Word of God. And so, like you were asking in Sunday school, Adisa, I appreciated it. But if I really believe that, that God has given me his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit will lead me into all truth, and if I humbly, honestly am seeking his face, I think he'll do what he asked me, what he said he'll do. But if I'm, if I, but if I'm looking to, to, the, to John Calvin to be my, my standard, Holy Spirit ain't there. Now I'm trusting John Calvin. I'm not trusting the Holy Spirit. If I'm looking to John Wesley... For answers, I'm looking to man. i got to be looking to God for his answers. That's why he gave us the word. How does he do the drawing? Through the ministry of the word. You guys can look up this later. That's why I said I know that I was dropping this plane fast. So, you know, hopefully you already have your, your trays put up because you're about ready to spill your drinks all over you. Anyways, through the ministry of the word. <laughs> baby I, it doesn't matter you're going down now you're you're, you're gonna be the g-forces are, are hitting you so hard that you're sitting in your back of your seats anyways through the ministry of the holy spirit you can look all this stuff up later so who is jesus to you who is he and so i appreciate it justin you bringing that up because this is all the way through john this is what i'm going to keep bringing up who is he who is jesus to you have you believed on the lord jesus christ as a payment for your sins if you got nothing out else from this message, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I hope that you get the point that God loves you and he wants to redeem you. And he's done all these things in order for you to know that Jesus died for you. Are you desiring to be drawn in a deeper relationship with Christ? God is drawing, man. He's drawing, drawing, drawing because he wants us into this deeper relationship. That's what you ought to get from this. It doesn't matter whether this is... No, God's drawing because he wants the relationship with us. How submissive are you to the working of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God? Does your life reveal more the evidence of the works of the selfish flesh, Galatians 5, or the fruit of God's working in you? And then finally, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, I am grateful to you for your working and your will being expressed in our lives. Lord, you gave the gift of salvation, redemption through Christ Jesus. Lord, forgive me for getting in in, in the way of the pouring out of your word. Lord, I pray that you would use your Holy Spirit to use your word in our life. Lord, some things are just for us to, to learn and to know and to have a basis of a proper theology. So God, I pray that we would base it upon the truth of your word. Lord, that we would study to show ourselves approved to you, workmen that need not to be the shame, that we rightly divide your word of truth God, that you might receive the glory and that we might be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us a reason for the hope that's within us. Again, that you might receive the glory in Christ's name. Amen.